Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we, we declare that today, that you are great, that there is no one and there is no thing greater than you. That is our de- that's our declaration today. We stand on that, that, Father, that you are all that we have and you are all that we need and that you have sent your Son and he is the rock of our salvation and he is the hope of our lives. And, God, we just, as a church right now, we just surrender our hearts to you and ask that, Jesus, you would help us to love you for all that you are and to worship you for all that you are. We, we're, we are not asking in this moment, in this prayer, I'm not asking anything from you other than you. More of you in our lives, in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. And be seated, and be seated. Hey, um, we'll show that video here in just a second. Um, uh, man, I want to welcome you to Summit this morning. If today's your very first time, uh, my name is Mark, and I'm the, uh, I'm the uh, I forgot what I was, I'm the pastor. <laughs> I forgot, I really forgot. I'm like, what do I do here? I'm the pastor here, and uh, man, we're just excited to have you guys here today. Hey, if it is your very first time here, we are just so excited and honored to have you here, and we would love to give you a free gift. It's a, we've got a CD and some other things that we've put together for you today, and the way, the way that you get that is just fill that connection card out that you got when you walked in. Take it to the welcome table out there in the lobby. We'll give that to you at the end. And also, if you are a returning guest, you've been here a couple times, we've got something really special we'd love to give you today because we believe that God, uh, just like what we said here, you know, uh, God has more for you than an hour. Uh, God wants a relationship, and a relationship can't be contained in an hour. God wants to know you and walk with you and say, how can I do that? Well, one way you can do that is you can really take the step and get plugged in and connected to this church. And you can do that by, in several different ways. You can join a, one of our small groups. We have life groups. You can sign up to serve. And I could go on and on and on, but, but I just want our church to know that, that God wants a relationship with you, not a Sunday morning where you can check it off. He wants a relationship. And, and so if you are here, you're a returning guest, say, man, I would love to know more about this church. Let, just let me know how to get plugged in. Out there at the welcome table, we've got something really special for all of our returning guests. Just fill out that connection card. Take it there um, after our service here in just a moment. Um, but right now, we are going to continue to worship as we receive our offerings. So all of our ushers are going to go ahead and get in place. So go ahead, whatever you need to do, any preparations you need to make for that, uh, you can go ahead and make those preparations. And um, I know a lot of you give online. Thank you for giving online. Thank you for however you give. But you know what? This is, this is just as much a part of worship as what we just did. Did you know that? And, and, and I say that sometimes. And I don't want you to think, oh, well, he's supposed to say that. No, I'm not supposed to say that at all. Um, But it is a a significant part of worship. And the reason that this is worship, what we're about to do as we give the offering, is because of everything that we just sang about, Jesus is worthy of all of it. And so when we give, whether it's here or online, that, that is us saying, God, you are worth it. God, you are worth it. And, and it doesn't matter how big or small your gift is. I mean, if you, are, if you are giving from your heart, man, that is your heart saying, Jesus, you are worth it. You are worth it. And, and so I, I want us to give today with that heart that, Jesus, you are worth it. You're worth our lives. And so I'm giving here today just as a testimony to, to how you're worth it. And so I'm going to pray for our offering. And while we're receiving our offering, uh, we're going to watch a video 
uh, that Summit Kids put together of uh, some of our kids sharing their favorite Bible stories. And just so you can uh, get a glimpse of some of the kids that we get to serve back there that we're serving right now, a lot of our uh, volunteers are. And so while we're receiving our offering, as soon as I say amen, you guys up there in the booth, go ahead and hit the, uh, hit the go button on that video. Let's pray over our offering today, guys. Jesus, I thank you so much for how you love us, that you are the greatest offering. You are the greatest gift. And God, I pray for this offering that what it would say is you are worth it. That the cry of every heart, every man and woman and every teenager in this room today would be you are worth it. You, you're, you're, worth, you're worth this and so much more of what we're giving and you're worth this and so much more of how we live and how we think. And You are worth it, God. And we love you. And so God, I pray that as we give, it would be an act of worship, our hearts declaring you are worthy. We love you, Jesus. And it is in your precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You guys give. Check out this video. Did you know that God was born in in a barn? Um, Did you know God made water? No, did you know God made water to run? How do you do it? Um, because he's gone. Did you know you can be the salt and light? Even if you're young, you can set a good example for others. God gave his son for a reason. The angel visit Mary told her she would have a baby. And then... An angel visits, and then she told Joseph that he did not leave her. So an angel visited him too, and she and they told him, "She is not lying. Mary is going to have a baby." And then that they told, and and then um, they live happily ever Is you know God wants us to love each other? Did, did you know that no matter what situation you're in, God's going to take care of you? Did you know in Daniel and the Lion's Den, an angel came down and shut the lion's mouth to protect Daniel? Oh, it got, it, that king didn't let God's people go. When, jo- when Jonah was on a boat with a bunch of people, it was starting to sink and he got off. And then got swallowed by a well, and after three days, he finally got out. You know that you can learn all these stories and more at Summit Kids Church. awesome that's awesome man um i love that uh i love that they asked those kids what their favorite bible story was the second girl was my daughter and her favorite bible story is where jesus goes to a party and makes some wine here we go here we go it just shows you a little bit of how we roll in our house right there praise and all the presbyterians said amen hallelujah all right 
All right, man. Today we are in our Multiply series. We are, uh, what we're doing here is we're going through the entire New Testament. Every single week, a different book or set of books. And today we are, uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to take the two shortest books in the New Testament and put them together in a sermon. Okay? Um, you might not have known these books are even in the Bible. There's no chapters. There's 25 verses in each of these. The book of Philemon and the book of Jude. And so they are very, very small. And one of the things, uh, one of the reasons that we're really bringing these together, well, there's actually two. Uh, two reasons we're bringing these together I wanted to. One is because most of the letters in the New Testament Paul writes to a church and with the exceptions of the ones we saw last week where Paul writes to pastors of churches, Philemon and Jude are letters from Paul to two individuals. Now we're going to see that these guys are active in a church but these are two letters, two small letters to two individuals. And, and another reason that we're bringing these two letters together is because of the things that they talk about. So we, I don't want to isolate these. I want to I keep them together because what we are talking about today are two things that you have to hold together and, and really you're going to have to hold them together with some tension because it's, it's, it's actually pretty hard to hold these two things together. And so I was thinking about two things that go together, great things that go together a couple of weeks ago. And I thought of some things uh, some great things that go together. I thought of peanut butter and jelly. Anybody like peanut butter and jelly? Man, I love them. I'm, uh, I'm all about some, I love peanut butter and jelly. Uh, milk and cookies. Milk and cookies are great together. Uh, I also thought of Han and Chewy. And uh, so, um, so two, some great things that go together. Well, the two things that we need to hold together this morning that we're going to talk about are grace and truth. Okay? Grace and truth. Can we all say that together? Say grace and truth. And so we're going to talk about holding those two things together. So the book of Philemon, there's a page right in front of you, the book of Hebrews in your Bible, and that page is the page of Philemon, all right? So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up there. Uh, Philemon is all about grace. It's all about the, the radical grace of God. And, and because these two letters are so small, they don't get a lot of attention. There's a really good chance that maybe you didn't even know there's a book in the Bible called Philemon. Uh, maybe you've never read it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the whole thing right now. So we're going to read the book of Philemon. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order, that, in order that he might serve with me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, more than a bondservant, as a brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay it. 
to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that though your pray- through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So there we go. We just read a whole book of the Bible in church. So there's, there's, there's that. But Philemon is all about grace. What happens in the book of Philemon is, is Paul writes to a man named Philemon about Philemon's slave, Onesimus. So we need to stop right there. And as a good Bible teacher, I would not be a good one if I didn't bring up the elephant in the room that always comes up when you, bring about, when you talk about Philemon. It's the idea of slavery. So Paul is writing to Philemon, a slave owner, about a slave who ran away and stole from him named Onesimus. I used to hear all the time, and sometimes I still hear it, people would say that the Bible teaches slavery. You ever heard that? Bible teaches slavery. Bible condones slavery. Listen, the Bible does not teach slavery. The Bible never condones slavery. The Bible is clear that slavery is a horrible evil. It is an absolute sin. See, here's, where, here's, where, here's the way the Bible works. The Bible knows that the world is broken by sin, and especially you and I are broken by sin. So instead of seeing people as made in the image of God, we will see people, because of sin, a lot of times people see other people as property to be owned, not people made in the image of God. And, and when the Bible talks about slavery, the Bible says things about slavery that would have been radical in biblical times, like, for example, verse 16. So instead of Paul talking about Onesimus as if he's property in verse 16, Paul calls, Paul calls Philemon to treat Onesimus like a brother. He says, listen, he's not property, he is your brother. See, here's what happened. Onesimus, a former a slave, Runs away from Philemon. As he runs away, he steals from Philemon, and he runs to Rome where Paul is. Uh, Onesimus and Paul meet in Rome. Paul leads him to the Lord, and Paul is bound by law to return Onesimus to Philemon. And Philemon and Paul are friends, and so Paul writes this letter to Philemon. And he says, listen, listen, I know that the world around us and culture says, because he ran from you and stole from you, Philemon, you can kill Onesimus. You can kill him. I know, that's, I know that culturally that's right to do, but here's an idea. What if you gave Onesimus the same grace Jesus gave you? Instead, instead of killing him or sending him to jail, man, what if you gave him the same grace that Jesus gave you? See, grace is the radical, undeserved favor of God. And Paul says, listen, what if we treated people that way? What if you gave him grace? He says, listen, and I, and I know he stole from you, but anything he stole from you, whatever he took from you, I'll pay it back. What is that? That's grace. So Philemon is all grace. Jude is all truth. Jude is all about truth. So if you got a Bible or it's on your phone there, you, right in front of the book of Revelation, there is a page, and at the top of that page, it says the book of Jude. Now, just to give Jude his props, so when, we, when I get to heaven, he won't slap me upside the head because I read Philemon and not Jude. I'm going to read the book of Jude right now, okay? So here we go. Let's read the whole book of Jude, 25. Each of these have 25 verses, by the way, all right? So here we go. Book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, 
To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the, the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they don't understand. And they destroyed, uh, they destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumns, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way. There's a lot of ungodly up in that verse. And all the harsh things that ungodly, there it is, sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Do others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from both stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Woo! That's hard, man. That's hard. Hey, we're at two books of the Bible today at church. That's awesome. That's awesome. There you go. So, so here we go. So Jude is all about truth. Philemon is grace. Jude is truth. What happened is some false teachers began to spread false doctrine in churches. And Jude, Paul writes to Jude and says, listen, you need to contend for the faith. You need to know the truth. Speak up for it. You need to defend the truth. See, just like peanut butter and jelly go together, grace and truth go together. We need to hold both of those things together, but that is hard. And the reason it's hard is because all of us usually, naturally, tend to swing towards one or the other. Every one of us in here right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably naturally tend to swing towards either grace or truth. So if you naturally swing towards grace, 
You, you always talk about how, how, how God loves everybody, and you always talk about how there's nobody perfect, and, and you always wanna make sure that everybody's okay, and you always wanna, wanna, wanna let everybody know that there's always room for them, and nobody's perfect, and, and God just loves you just the way that you are. And listen, all those things are fine and true, but sometimes the tendency can be that we so emphasize those things, we never tell anybody that God loves you, but he also calls you to change, Right? But then you can swing to the other side and you can be all truth. And then if you're all truth, you can get arrogant and you, you get on Facebook and you rant and scream and yell all the time. And the problem there is that nobody listens to you because you're just mean. So, so ask yourself here really quick, which one of these do you tend to be? Which one of these do you kind of tend to swing towards? You tend to, tend to go towards grace, tend to go towards truth. See, Jesus Jesus held both of these together with tension in the perfect way. In fact, John 1.14 says that, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Here it is. Read this last part with me. Full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth at the same time. Hard to do because in the middle there's tension. But when you read the Bible, you see that Jesus is full of grace and And truth, in John chapter four, Jesus walks up to a woman at the well. There's this well in a town and all kinds of people go there to get water. There's a woman, she's a Samaritan. She goes there every day to get water and Jesus begins to have a conversation with this Samaritan woman. That alone is an act of grace because Jewish men never talked to Samaritan women. Culturally in that day, they just believed that Jews were better. And so for Jesus to even have a conversation with this woman, that would would have been him stooping himself down. And so so this is grace that they're having this conversation. They have this amazing conversation about real worship and, and knowing God. And it's all grace. And the grace people read it and they get goosebumps and they say, ooh, you love it. And then Jesus looks at this woman and he says, hey, go tell your husband what we just talked about. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know. You've been with five men, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband either. Awkward. See, grace and truth. Matthew 9. In Matthew 9, Jesus walks up to Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. If you read the Bible, sometimes you'll see this phrase, tax collectors and sinners. And what that means is people in biblical times hated tax collectors so bad, they thought tax collectors were so corrupt and messed up that tax, corrupt, uh, tax collectors rather had their own category. There were sinners, and then there were tax collectors, bro. Tax collectors and sinners. Ma- Jesus walks up to Matthew, this tax collector, and says, Matthew, follow me. What's that mean? What that means is, Matthew, I want a relationship with you. Matthew, I want you to be a part of what I am doing. That is grace. And then Jesus even goes further to show grace. He says, Matthew, listen, we're all going to come to your house today. And all, Jesus and all the disciples go to Matthew's house, and there's all kinds of people there at Matthew's house. And, and Jesus, because Jesus was full of grace and what, you tell me? Truth. The, that drove the religious leaders absolutely nuts. Because the religious leaders wanted you to be all of truth and nothing else. And so if Jesus was the Messiah, surely he's not going to hang around with these nasty, messy sinners. And Jesus tells them in Matthew chapter 9, he says, listen, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. But what you see there is grace and truth. Grace and truth. See, God has called us to be people of grace and truth. Did you know that? God has called us to be people and a church of grace and truth. And truth. And if we're going to do that, there needs to be two things present in our lives and two things present in our church for us to hold 
uh, hold tight to these things called grace and truth. And so if we're going to do this, here's the first thing that we need. If you're going to be a person of grace and truth, you need to do this. You need to treat people the way you want to be treated. If you're going to be a person of grace and truth, you need to treat people the way that you want to be treated. Did you notice that all the grace people amen? Now, the truth people are like, it ain't that simple. Hang on, Sugarfoot. All right, hang on. Calm down. Calm down. All right? You treat people the way that you want to be treated. The golden rule in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you know what that is? That is grace. Do you know how you want people to treat you? You want people to treat you with grace, don't you? Everybody that wants people to treat them with grace, raise your hand. You want people to treat you with grace. Listen, you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt, don't you? That is grace. You want people to give you a second chance, don't you? That's grace. When you have a need, you want somebody to come and help you meet that need. You want people to treat you with grace. What is grace? Grace is the absolute, undeserved, radical favor of God. See, we do not deserve the grace of God, church. Man, if you don't get anything else I say today, just get that point right there. Sometimes I hear people say, I want God to give me what I deserve. No, you don't. No, you don't. I deserve hell. I deserve the absolute wrath of God against my sin. I do not want God to give me what I deserve because I saw what I deserve happen to Jesus, and that was horrible. Jesus was tortured to death on a cross. Why? Because in that moment, he got what I rightfully deserved. See, see, God treats us with grace because of Jesus. Because Jesus took our sin on the cross through Christ, God will never and doesn't have to treat you and I as our sin deserves. There is grace available in Jesus. And the grace that God gives to us, he wants us to give that grace to other people. Whether you want to or not, the grace that saves you is the grace that God wants you to give to other people. Now, now before I get an email or somebody asks me a question, because every time we kind of talk about something like this in church, and I think these are good questions, people always say, well, well, Mark, 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 what about me because I'm in this kind of relationship and this is happening? Or what about the, me with this and my kids? Listen, listen, giving people grace does not mean, listen to me, I want you to hear this because this literally comes up every time we do this in our church, and I just think it's because a lot of the people that maybe listen or come Giving somebody grace does not mean that you have to stay in that abusive relationship. Giving someone grace does not mean that you stay in that relationship or that situation where it is no longer safe for you and your kids to be in that situation. Do you understand? Giving somebody grace does not mean that we become people's doormats and they can say and do whatever they want to us. No, no, listen. One of the most loving things you can do is at some point you got to set some boundaries, right? That, that I'm not going to give you money anymore. You can't come around me at this time. You can't come around my kids. Some of the most loving thing that we can do at some point, possibly, in, in certain situations, is to set boundaries. But at the same time, God calls us to give the grace that he gives to us to other people. See, the context of Luke chapter 6, the golden rule, when Jesus says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Do you know what Jesus is talking about in that context? He's talking about loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. Jesus says, listen, listen, if you love people who love you, that man, listen, that's easy. Everybody loves people that loves them. There's nothing different about you at all if you just love people that love you. I'm telling you to love your enemies. And you hear that, and we hear that, and we say, man, listen, Mark, that's hard. Listen, church, that is not hard. 
it is impossible. It is impossible unless the grace of God has transformed your life. I cannot love my enemies unless the grace of God has has radically transformed my heart and my mind to see that because of my sin, man, I used to be God's enemies, but through Jesus, now I'm God's friend, right? See, see, it's impossible to do it without the grace of God. I, I can't do that. The grace that I have received and transforms me is the grace that God calls me to forgive. So the power of forgiveness can't happen if God's forgiveness in your life is on the back burner of your life. Oh yeah, I'm saved. I'm for- yeah, God's forgiven me for my sin. It's no big deal. Listen, brother, it is a real big deal. There is no bigger deal than the God of the universe forgiving me and you of our sin. There is no bigger deal. There is no bigger deal that God has sought us when we weren't seeking him and God gives us grace. And our relationship with God is all grace. We're going to talk more about this in detail next week, but I just want to say this. The reason that once you enter into that relationship with God and you can't lose your salvation is because the relationship wasn't started by you. The relationship doesn't hang on your obedience. The relationship hangs on Jesus' obedience, and our relationship with him is a relationship of grace. See, God's called us to be people of grace. God's also called us to be a church of grace. I get, I get asked this question, Mark, can I come to your church? I get asked that question a lot, man. Mark, can I come to your church? I don't have any nice clothes to wear. I don't have any nice clothes to wear. Can I come to Summit? And I tell people this, listen, bro, as long as you're not naked, we don't care. And if that's a problem, we got some napkins out in the lobby. Just let us know before you walk in. We can take care of that for you, right? Mark, can I come to your, I, get the, I, I literally get, I get questions like this all the time. Mark, can I come to your church? I'm an alcoholic. And I say, absolutely you can. Yeah, man. Mark, can I come to your church? I, I've got this addiction, man. I haven't been able to beat it yet. Can I come? Yeah, man, you can come. In fact, you can sit with me. Mark, Mark, I've, I've got this in my past. Mark, I've messed up. Can I come? Yeah, you can come. Mark, I, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Can I come to Summit? I say, you can absolutely come to Summit. You can come to Summit no matter who you are or where you've been. Well, Mark, well, that's just putting a stamp of approval on what everybody else does. No, it's not. When Jesus went to Matthew's house, he was not putting a stamp of approval on everything in Matthew's life. But what Jesus was showing Matthew is he was saying, Matthew, there's grace for you. See, we got to make room for people no matter who they are, where they've been, why. Not because we're putting a stamp of approval on everybody's life, but we need everybody to know if grace changed me, man, it can change you. If there's room for me in the family of God, there's room for you, Right? So so we want to treat people the way that we want to be treated. We want to give the grace that we have received. That's the first thing, but here's the second. So that's grace, but here's the next thing. We need to know and speak truth. So, So the first part is grace, man. We need to be people of grace. If we've been saved by grace, let's give it to others, but also we need to know and speak truth, church. I just I love what I love the way that, that Paul starts the letter of Jude here. He says this. He says in verse two, beloved. Although I was really eager, verse three rather, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. He's, this is a this is such a this is such a wild thing to me. 
Jude, uh, Paul says, listen, I was gonna write you, Jude, a book about how great our salvation is, but I have changed my mind and I am no longer writing about that because of what's going on. He says this, I was very eager to write to you about how common our salvation is, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I've changed my mind. Jude, I need to tell you, you need to know the truth and speak up for it. You need to know the truth and speak up for it. Listen, Summit, when you first give your life to Jesus, when you first give your life to Jesus Christ, in that moment, we are spiritual babies, right? That's, that's not an insult. That's exactly what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, that we are spiritual infants the moment that we give our lives to Christ. But here's the deal. We should not stay spiritual infants. God wants us to grow up. Amen? Did you know that? Did you know that God wants you to grow up? Grow up in your faith. Grow up in your knowledge of God. Grow up in your relationship with him. Listen, babies are cute, but they're not supposed to stay that way. They're they're supposed to grow up. Our faith, we're supposed to mature. We're supposed to grow up. See, see, see this, this right here, this is truth. This is the word of God. Now, I can't go here and discover how to do my taxes. But I can go here and discover who God is. I want you to look at me for a second, especially in churches like ours. Especially in churches like ours. Casual, comfortable atmosphere. I, and I haven't heard it in, in our church, but I hear it sometimes from, from church leaders outside of our area and and that sort of thing, where everything is casual, including the way we think and talk about God. It's as if theology doesn't matter. Theology matters in Summit Community Church. The way we talk about God matters in our church. The way we think about God matters. Well, I just feel like God is this way. Well, this is my opinion. Listen, listen, the moment we start to put our opinions up on a pedestal, then what we're doing is we are making a God in our own image. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college one day, this uh, youth pastor I served in his youth ministry, he walked by me one day, and he walked by, and I'd been working there for several months. I mean, I'd talked to the guy, I'd been in meetings and everything, and he walked by me, and he looked at me and said, hey, Stephen, good to see you. I said, that's not my name. He didn't know my name. But I was Stephen to him, Right? And I was like, that's, and I told everybody, that guy's a jerk. He doesn't even know my name. Probably not going to heaven. Right? Like, I was offended because that's not my name. Hey, if I got offended when somebody got my name wrong, and you would probably do the same thing, how do you think it feels, how do you think God feels when we talk about him the wrong way? Hey, if you've got questions about God, get them answered. If there's an answer, now God's infinite. All questions won't be answered on this side of eternity. But don't just settle for confusion and uncertainty. I'm working with the students on Sunday nights and I'm telling our students right now, all the time, all the time I'm telling teenagers this. Students, listen to me. You you need to own your faith. Own it. It's not good enough that your mom and dad believe in God and know the Bible. You gotta know the Bible. And some of you adults, you don't know the Bible either, and your grandparents knew it, and you're banking off their faith. Listen, you need to know the Word of God. That's why we do life groups. That's why we have devotions in our app. 
God wants us to grow up. I'm taking time here because God wants us to grow up and mature in our faith. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Give an answer when people ask for our faith. Can you do that? Can you do that? Or is your answer, I don't know, hang on, let me call Mark. Right? If you went to the doctor and you knew something was, you just felt something was wrong, and the doctor did all kinds of tests, and, and, and he's, he's, he, he sees the x-rays, he sees the results of the test, and it turns out, not only, were you right, not only were you right, it's worse than you thought. That you have a disease, and if you don't get this disease, if, if you don't begin to take a certain kind of treatment, you're not gonna survive much longer. But that doctor doesn't wanna tell you because it'll hurt your feelings. So he walks back into the doctor, he walks back into the room where you are, and he says, all right, everything came back great. You look good. See you later. No, I won't. Right? And, and he doesn't tell you. He doesn't tell you. He, he's, he doesn't want to offend you. Would you say that's a good doctor? No, that's not a good doctor. You're not going to go back to that guy. You're not going to recommend him. You're not going to give him a five-star rating on Facebook. Right? He, he's not a good Doctor, see, see, we want people to tell us in that situation, you want him to tell you the truth. Listen, telling people the truth in a loving way is loving. Telling people the truth in a loving way, not in an arrogant way, not in a jerk-filled kind of way, all right? Telling people the truth in a loving way is loving. And I'll just tell you how this works in our church. Mark, can I come to your church? Absolutely, you can come to our church. And then we talk, say, say that God begins to work in their life. They want to get baptized, and we're talking to them. I'm talking to them. Somebody's talking to them. Well, yeah, I want to get baptized, but you know what? I got this thing in my life, and I know what the Bible says about it, but I'm not going to stop doing it, and I really don't care because it makes me feel good. We're adults. We're consenting, and it's okay. I'm right with it. And we tell people, and I've had to tell people here in this church, hey, listen, let's hold off on baptism. Let's not do baptism. Because if I baptized you and I knew that, then what I would be saying to you is, you know what, don't worry about that, it's okay. When you stand before God, God's not gonna say, don't worry about it, it was okay. And, and sometimes that works out great. Sometimes people look at us and say, you know what, you're right, I need to repent, man, I need to walk with Jesus, I need to fix this. And there's been other times here in our church, past five years, where people say, you know what, listen, I don't care what you say, I'm gonna do it anyway, and they leave. And it's in those moments where you've gotta choose faithfulness with God over popularity in the culture. And, and here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. Now listen, listen. If you, have never, if you have never had to make that choice yet, you will. Every teenager is going to have to make that choice sometime. And every man and woman in this room, you're going to have to make the choice sometime. Faithfulness to God or popularity in the culture. See, Jesus was filled with grace and truth. And, and, and Jesus is full of grace and truth in our lives right now. That's the way he treats us. That's the way he interacts with us. So Jesus is full of grace in our lives, full of, full of grace, so that I look to him and say, Jesus, I'm struggling with this. I've got this addiction. I've got this thing in my life. And he looks back at us and he says, I know you do, and I love you anyway. And because he's full of truth, he says, I know you've got that in your life, and I love you so much. I want you to repent of it and confess, and I want to set you free from it. We, we, we can be in a place where Jesus, I'm so scared, I'm so afraid, and because he's a God of grace, he says, I know you're afraid, and I love you. And because he's a God of truth, he says, don't be frightened, and don't be discouraged, and don't be dismayed. I am with you wherever you go. He is a God of grace, and he's a God of truth.
But see, see, the grace of God is a grace you've got to receive. It's not just a grace he just throws out to everybody and we automatically have it. You have to receive the grace of God. Have you ever received the radical transforming grace of God? I'm not asking you if you've been to church or if you believe in God. Has the grace of Jesus radically changed your life? Has the grace of God so made a difference that, man, yeah, you're not perfect, but you know what? From the moment you met grace, you have been going a different direction. Has that happened? And I want to tell you, man, if it has never happened for you today, you can give your life to Jesus, and because he is a God of grace, he is ready to pour it out on your life. Or you might have been sitting there today, and because God is a God of truth, the Holy Spirit has been convicting you about a very specific sin in your life. I want to tell you, whatever it is today, don't be afraid to go to God and say, God, I'll let it go right now. I'll let it go right now. Because God is a God of grace and truth. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we come to you and we praise you that you are a God of grace and truth. You're graceful. You're filled with grace. And God, how we need that grace. God, it is the grace of God that we need. When, when we mess up, when we fall, when we blow it, it's the grace of God that we need for our doubts. It's the grace of God that we need in our fear. It's the grace of God that we need when we, when we give into temptation. It's the grace of God we need. And you're also a God of truth. And it's the truth of God that we need who, who speaks boldly to us when we're afraid. It's the truth of God that we need when, when, when we're afraid to call sin, sin. It's the truth of God that, that brings us back to reality and say, no, i got to deal with this. And so God, help us today to begin to be people, to be people of grace and truth, a church of grace and truth. And it's the grace of God and the truth of God would transform our hearts. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I believe that because Jesus is a God of grace and truth, I believe there's something for every person in this room today, no matter how young or old you are. I believe there's something for all of us today. Maybe today you need the, you need the grace of God. Maybe today you need the grace of God say, Say, Mark, I've got this thing in my life that nobody knows about, God knows about it, and today I need to confess it to God, and I need to ask God to forgive me for this sin in my life. If that's you today, I'm not gonna ask you to get up or embarrass yourself at all, but I would love to pray with you. If you are here today and say, Mark, there is something in my life I need to confess to God today, and I want the courage to do it. Would you just raise your hand right now? There's something in my life, man, I gotta confess. I gotta do business with God about it. Would you just raise your hand right now? Put your hand up right now. Amen. You might be here today and the grace of God has never changed your life. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never experienced his grace and his mercy. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, right now, this is your moment. This is your moment where you can go to God and say, God, forgive me for my sin. I want to start a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. So if today, if you want to receive the grace of Jesus for the very first time, and this is not grace that lets you go out and live however you want to live. Listen, this is grace that changes. This is grace that transforms. But if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus and have his grace transform your life, pray this prayer with me right there where you're at. Say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me today. I give my life to you right now for the very first time. Help me to live for you and walk with you. Thank you for your grace that saves 
Jesus' name. No one is looking around. No eyes are open. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, I would love to celebrate with you today. If you just prayed to give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time, would you just put your hand up in the air and say, Mark, I got saved today. I gave my life to Christ. Would you just put your hand up right now so I can see it and pray with you today. Pray for you. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray right now. I pray right now that every person in here, as we leave, we would know you're a God of grace and truth and you would wake us up to it. And God, that we would want to share that grace and share that truth with other people. That we would want to love you and that we would want to grow and that we would, we would be hungry and thirsty for you because you are worthy of it. We love you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's praise God for today. Let's praise God for this moment that he's given us. And Man, let me just say something real quick. And I know, I know at this time, everybody's packing up their luggage and ready to go. Um, but man, you know, earlier today when we were singing that we were just astounded with his mercy. Um, man, I, I pray that that's the heart of our church. I pray that that's your heart. Man, God wants a relationship with you. Church, as, as the gathering moment, it's over. It's over. We're walking out. But that relationship is not over. God wants a relationship with you as you walk through that door today and every single day. So we are just as much the church out there as we are right here because we are the people of God, amen? And where we go, God goes with us. And so God wants a relationship with you. So guys, this week, let's seize every opportunity we have to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Guys, hey, I love you. Thank you all so much for coming. First and returning guests, love to connect with you at the welcome table. You guys are dismissed. God bless you.